0: Welcome to the Sunday Sermon Podcast of First Methodist Church in Opelika. We'd love for you to join us for worship each Sunday at 9 or 10.30 a.m. To learn more about First Methodists, visit us online at firstopelika.org or follow us on Instagram or Facebook at First Opelika. Thanks for tuning in. We'd love for you to join us. Our scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Amos. Surprise, surprise, surprise. (laughs) The word for next to last is penultimate. That's next week. I don't know what the word for next to next to last is, but that's where we are. Uh, Amos 7 verses 10 through 17 as we continue this journey, this series we've been in this fall called May I Have Your Attention Please. I invite you uh, to grab your own Bible or the Bible off the hymnal shelf and turn with me to Amos 7 so that you have a copy of the scriptures in front of you. You can grab your phone and open a Bible app. And out of reverence for the Lord and for his word, would you stand with me as we listen now together for the word of the Lord? Then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent to Jeroboam, king of Israel, saying, Amos has conspired against you in the midst of the house of Israel. The land is not able to bear all his words. For thus Amos has said, Jeroboam shall die by the sword, and Israel must go into exile away from this land. And Amaziah said to Amos, O seer, go. Flee away to the land of Judah, and eat bread there, and prophesy there, but never again prophesy at Bethel, for it is the king's sanctuary, and it is a temple of the kingdom. Then Amos answered and said to Amaziah, I was no prophet, nor a prophet's son, but I was a herdsman, and a dresser of sycamore figs. But the Lord took me from following the flock, and the Lord said to me, Go, prophesy to my people Israel. Now, therefore, hear the word of the Lord. You say, do not prophesy against Israel, and do not preach against the house of Isaac. Therefore, thus says the Lord, Your wife shall be a prostitute in the city, and your sons and your daughters shall fall by the sword and your land shall be divided up with a measuring line. You yourself shall die in an unclean land, and Israel shall surely go into exile away from its land. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Will you pray with me, please? Lord, we know you are good, we know you are faithful, we know you are the one who walk with us in all places and promise us hope and life where there is no night and no tears. And so Holy Spirit, as we come and study your word, we ask that you would teach us and shape us that we might be submitted and surrendered and aligned to you that our allegiance might be to you and you alone. Lord, use this time for your purposes and your glory. Move in power and presence here. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Even though I spent most of my growing up years living in Auburn, my allegiance was to the University of Georgia it can happen. (laughs) Both of my parents did their undergraduate work at Georgia, and even though dad was a professor at Auburn, the team and the game that we centered our Saturdays around was always Georgia. I had UGA hats, I wore Georgia clothes, maybe that was just to get me used to wearing red and black, and I followed Georgia news. I went to Auburn stuff and I enjoyed the benefits of living in a college town, but Auburn was secondary to my primary allegiance. When I decided to go to Auburn as a college student, I had every intention of not graduating from Auburn. That was my plan. I was wrestling with what I wanted to do, and I had looked around at all kind of different schools, but I wasn't sure what I wanted, and so I had planned to spend my first year at Auburn figuring it out, and then I was going to go somewhere else to do it. I certainly didn't have any interest in shifting my allegiance to Auburn. My approach was really pragmatic, get some basic classes out of the way, figure out what I want to do, and then go do it. My allegiance to Georgia seemed solid in all of that. My plan seemed good until, as a freshman, I joined the Auburn Marching Band. At first, I saw this as purely pragmatic, too. I liked music, I wanted to meet some people and have something to do in my one year at Auburn. But you know what happens when you dress up in Auburn clothes and you go to pep rallies and you play the fight song a thousand times with 300 other people? It makes an impact. I continued to say all along that my allegiance was to Georgia, but it did not take long for my allegiance to change. After we won the last game of the year and I rolled Toomer's Corner with my friends, I went straight to the bookstore and bought all the auburn sweatshirts and hats I needed because my allegiance had shifted. As we rejoin the story of Amos this morning, before we come to this communion table, Amos has a word for us about allegiance. And in the characters that we see in the text today, we find out that allegiance matters. Amos is continuing this backstory to everything that he has shared up to this point in the book, Last week, I told you that the book of Amos is set up like the Star Wars movie franchise. Chapters 1 through 6 that we looked at for several weeks as we began this series are like the original Star Wars trilogy. Chapters 7 and 8 are the prequels, and chapter 9 is episodes 7 through 9. In this section where we find ourselves right now, Amos is offering all the details he can to undergird and uh, share what drove him to preach the challenging and rebuking and critiquing messages that we studied in those first six chapters that he delivered to the people of God. And this interchange that we see here between Amos and the priest Amaziah is another piece that helps us see why Amos has said what he said and see what led him to say what he said. After Amos shares the three visions that we looked at last week that ended with God finally saying that their sin and their lack of repentance was too great and that the consequences for sin were real, it's as if Amos is sitting there looking at a room full of people much like this when he can envision someone sitting in the back who slips their hand up and says, how can God do this? How can God say this or speak with such finality? To answer the question to that objection, he offers this interchange that he had had with the priest Amaziah. When Amos had begun to proclaim the challenging messages to the people of Israel, he had come to the temple of Bethel to do it. I need to give you a little backstory so you understand, but the temple of Bethel was a very interesting place. When the nation of Israel had divided into two, there was a northern kingdom and there was a southern kingdom. Jeroboam, who was the king of the northern kingdom, did not like that the southern kingdom was where Jerusalem was. It was the place where the temple was. And so when he was establishing this northern kingdom in this divided place, he built a new temple in the town of Bethel. He didn't want people longing for the good old days of the old temple And so when he made the new temple in Bethel, he pulled out all of the stops. He did everything he could to make it, everything he could to make them forget anything they could about where they had been. Jeroboam is widely regarded by biblical scholars as the categorically worst king that Israel ever had. He was apathetic. He had this kind of anything-goes approach, and it showed when he built the temple in Bethel. He mixed and matched the things that people liked. He took out the stuff that was uncomfortable. He added some kind of weird, cultish, nationalistic loyalty stuff. And he created this wacky version of religion that from the outside kind of resembled the desires of God, but it lacked any substance. When I see what Jeroboam did, it kind of reminds me of John Wesley's words. John Wesley was the originator of the Methodist movement, of which we're a part. He had a warning where he said that he was not concerned that the people called Methodists would ever cease to exist, but rather that they would become a dead sect with all of the form, but none of the power. That's what Jeroboam was up to. He was building his own kingdom. He used God's name on it, but it was squarely on Jeroboam's terms. One of his primary kingdom-building means was to keep people happy. He didn't want to ruffle any feathers or do anything that would limit the prosperity that he was promoting. He had no issue with using God's name, slapping God's name on something if he thought it would help him get what he wanted. Amaziah was the chief priest of that temple in Bethel. And he would have served as Jeroboam's chaplain, almost his spiritual director. Amaziah had watched everything that we've seen unfold. He watched as Amos showed up in Bethel and began proclaiming these condemning and critiquing messages, calling out the people of God for their waywardness and sinfulness. He heard him say over and over again that the people gave lip service to God, that they did not fulfill what God wanted, and they neglected the most vulnerable in their community. They lived their lives based on self-preference and their own comfortability. He watched as all this went on. And we don't know how long Amaziah watched and waited, but at some point, what Amos was doing unsettled him to the point that he sent a message to Jeroboam, the king, to let him know what was happening. Essentially, his message to King Jeroboam was, we have a problem. And then in the first hint that Amaziah has an allegiance issue, he says, Amos is conspiring against you. It's interesting that this is how the priest in the temple describes what Amos is doing. We've said all through this series that there are only two responses that you can have when God interrupts and moves. There are only two responses that you can have when God interrupts and speaks. There are only two responses you can have when God does a work in our midst. Borrowing from the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, we say we can either say, what does this mean? We can grow in curiosity. We can lean into what God is doing. Or we can push back and say those people must be drunk, that we can dismiss the messenger, that we can push ourselves away from what is happening and we can move to get back to our status quo, our normal and our comfortability as quickly as we possibly can. The move that the priest of the temple makes isn't to ask what does this mean? isn't to stop and say, what is God doing in our midst? Isn't to wonder and grow in curiosity what God may be doing through Amos or whether or not what Amos is saying is correct. His move in that classic dismissing of the messenger is to call Amos a threat and try and send him packing. After paddling to Jeroboam, Amaziah then confronts Amos directly If it wasn't clear before where Amaziah's allegiances were, it is now. Because seeking to maintain the status quo and to keep people comfortable and not rock the boat, Amaziah uses the classic silencing and exclusion exclusion tactics to try and put Amos in his place. Go back to where you're from. You're not from around here. You aren't like us. Those are all tried and true ways through history to dismiss someone. Go do your prophesying there. Take this little dog and pony show out of here. Find somewhere else for it. And then Amaziah drops the kicker. This is the king's sanctuary, and he isn't talking about God as the king. And this is a temple of his kingdom. In an instant, Amaziah exposes his allegiance maybe it just slipped out maybe he didn't realize he said it have you ever had a moment like that or something came out that was more true than you realized and you didn't expect it to come out maybe he caught himself maybe he heard it and later he changed the error of his ways we don't know that but here and now it is very clear that Amaziah's allegiance isn't to God the chief priest may be dressing up in God clothes and saying God things, but his underlying allegiance is to another king completely. Amos's response shows the difference between the two men and shows us a model of allegiance to God. As Amos responds, he challenges Amaziah's suggestion that he could just pick up and take this preaching ministry somewhere else. Amos tells Amaziah that he isn't just out here for fun. This isn't just a hobby that he does when it's convenient. He tells him that he isn't even a paid professional prophet. He doesn't come from a long line of prophets. He isn't a member of the local prophets guild. He was a farmer minding his own business, and God took him and sent him to do this this whole prophesying thing wasn't his idea God called him put it before him and obedience was the only option he emphasizes the very point that Amaziah has ignored he is God's messenger and this is God's message Amos doesn't call the shots for Amos's life God does because of the chief priest's blatant rejection of God and abdication of his role, the consequences for Amaziah are bleak too. Essentially what Amos challenges Amaziah with is you go through all these motions. You dress up on the outside and say things that sound good. But at your core, you're serving the wrong king. This won't last. It can't. Amos models serving the one true king. No matter the cost. And Amaziah shows us the cost when our allegiance is in the wrong place. Allegiance to anything other than God is destructive. Let me say that again. Allegiance... To anything other than God is destructive. That's true for you and me, too. Allegiance to anything other than God is destructive, and all kinds of things can compete for our primary allegiance. The sooner we expose the things that are competing for our allegiance and the prime place in our lives, the better it can be anything. Our allegiance can be to college football, a job, our self-comfort and pleasure. It can be to our success, money, or a lifestyle. It can be our kids or our grandkids. Our allegiance can be to tradition, to the past, to politics, to a political party, to a leader. Our allegiance can even be to the church. But ultimate allegiance to anything other than God is ultimately destructive. Jesus would say it like this you cannot serve two masters you end up loving the one and hating the other a preacher friend of mine says it like this you become like what you worship the biggest problem comes when we do what I did when I was in the band in college I thought I could keep an allegiance to one thing while I immersed myself in a culture that had an allegiance to another. I dressed the part, said the things, and looked like someone with an allegiance to Auburn. But internally, I would have sworn my allegiance was to something else and that nothing could have shaken that. When we declare allegiance to one thing, but our lives reflect allegiance to something else, we are flirting with destruction. On this side of the cross, if you put your trust in Jesus, we don't have to worry about the type of consequences that we see in the book of Amos. But if we say that our trust is in Jesus and our lives demonstrate allegiance to something else, How much are we really trusting him in the first place? What authority does he really have? Letting our lives be centered on anything else is less than the fullness and wholeness that God wants for you and for me. Allegiance to anything other than God is destructive. How would you respond If you knew God had a message for you, what would you do? May I have your attention, please? Pray with me, please. I'm going to invite you into a moment of silence, and then together we are going to prepare to come to the communion table By praying the prayer of confession from the communion service. So take a moment of silence and then join me as we pray these words on the screen together. Let us pray. Merciful God. Amen. I invite you to a moment of silent prayer. Hear the good news. Christ Jesus died for us while we were yet sinners. That proves God's love towards us. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Amen.